Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, welcome back to Better Words. We are so excited to bring you a new episode this week and I hope that your Easter weekend was filled with as much reading as ours was. Caitlin, how many books did you finish? Okay, so I only finished one, but... That's still good. I read... (laughs) uh, Yeah, I only finished one, but I read at least... 150 pages of one other and I started I just like dipped in and started a new one that it's going to take me a while to read because I have so many other books to read but I read about 40 pages of that as well yeah like far be it from us to complain about reading books but we are going to complain for a second about reading books we have inadvertently given us oh we've given ourselves a lot of books to read and suddenly it's become very very stressful (laughs) yeah I mean we're just you know, we obviously read, you know, books ahead of interviews and we love reading extra books to recommend as we are about to do. And we love doing our little book clubs and everything, but every now and again, it kind of piles up and yeah. Michelle, quick count. Cause I am at least partway through, I can think of four, but there must be more. And I've already thinking to myself today, I need to start two more books today. Yeah, I think at the moment I'm in the middle of three. I need to start a new one. Actually, four. Four, same, four. And I need to start new ones for interview purposes. Yeah. <laughs> we are nuts. Um, my See, my weekend reading, I finished two books that I oh, had previously well started, but that I had previously had to pause them and start new ones for interview purposes it's amazing and then I realized keep track of the storylines honestly because we're dipping in oh and out but they're all very different but I was like I must finish these books um and the I had the extra incentive because they were net galley copies and it was like four days to go one day to go and I was like oh my god I need to read these books um so yeah that was it was brilliant though the books were amazing and I'm not going to tell you which ones because some of them were already people that we had interviewed and I needed to finish their books um so I'm not gonna tell you which ones they were um but yeah they were they were incredible but yeah there's nothing like opening up your e-reader and seeing like one day to go and being like oh my god I need to read so I'm very grateful for the long weekend um and we didn't end up doing anything because Jack was a bit sick with a cold so we just sat inside all day and they ran Harry Potter on ITV so we watched um um, Harry Potter's one, two, three, four, and five um, on the weekend. Amazing! I haven't watched <laughs> any of those movies for so long, actually. I know, and it's I've barely ever seen them on TV, so it was yeah. kind of cool. We didn't pay, obviously, we didn't pay full attention to them because they're on with almost no ads for that many hours we and they're on in like the afternoon so we were like going and making dinner and then coming back and finishing it and all that sort of stuff yeah and like walking back past the tv being like i love this bit yeah yeah exactly um and then we just watched some other random movies um jack watched a lot of movies today while i did some work so 
yeah, like classic when he's at home, I'll just sit downstairs. Um, but I, I should tell you just before we do our recommendations as well, you'll be pleased to know that I have another British reality TV obsession. Oh God. The Circle. Oh, okay. <laughs> at least, at least I remember, I think you've watched that like last year when it, no? no, I've never watched it before. No. Oh, okay yeah I know but I'm obsessed with it now and there's like one other person I know who's watching it and I dm her as soon as I've caught up on it being like oh my god it's very very addictive Jack has seen a few episodes and says it's really stupid but trust me it is good reality tv in that I will usually watch it in the morning (laughs) you know it's just something that you don't have to pay full attention to but it's very addictive and I'm very much into like, oh my God, she said what? Oh my God, he did what? Oh my God, this person's a catfish. Like it's, it's really, really good. Um, so yeah, I've, I've got that and I've got two seasons of the British one to catch up on on BritBox. And I thought I'd save that for when we're in hotel quarantine. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Which Jack will be so excited about. Yeah, he'll be thrilled. Oh my goodness, oh. I can't wait for your quarantine updates. I don't think I oh. have like really, you know, no one that I like know super well, I've, you know, experienced them living through like a full 14 day quarantine. So I'm interested to see how you guys go. We have floated the idea, haven't we, of me doing a few little updates and maybe compiling them into one episode. I'll see how I'm feeling. I'll see. Maybe I, I should do a daily fun. little diary update of like, today on the big the big brother house like I don't know yeah oh my god that's what it will be like yeah today (laughs) in hotel quarantine um yeah anyway let's we'll get into our recommendations um so I'm recommending first this week and I'm actually going to recommend a previous guest's brand new book so last season we had the pleasure of chatting to Laura Jane Williams about her new release then the love square um and this weekend i finally finished reading her brand new book the lucky escape which is out in june i believe in the uk um it may already be out in on on ebook i'll double check and put the i'll put the dates in because this was one that i read thanks to the lovely crew um at harper collins in the uk um so the lucky escape A woman is jilted at the altar and she is obviously heartbroken, but her, I was going to say in-laws, but they're obviously not after that. Um, They basically say, we still want you to go on the honeymoon, take whoever you want. And we just want you to have this experience because we are so angry at our son for just abandoning you at the altar. That's so nice. I know. And they're clearly I love that his parents are like... What a dick. Go on the honeymoon. I know. Because he basically sends a message to the wedding planner. He's like, I can't do this. And she's like, excuse me, what? The wedding planner. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So she's clearly heartbroken and she starts going back to um, Barry's boot camp. Yep. 
Um, so she's at the gym and she runs into this guy who she went to drama camp with as a teenager. They used to call him Pongy Patty, but of course he's had a Neville Longbottom style makeover and it's super, super hot now. And they get drunk one night and she says, oh my God, hey, why don't you come on my honeymoon with me to Australia? Um, so they get business class seats to Australia, which by the way, Whoa. like, if my in-laws want to do that for me, I'm not going to say no. Um, <laughs> I would dream of that. That'd be amazing. That would be so good. <laughs> 24 hours flight. would not be so uncomfortable. It's such a horribly long flight. Like it's just, the payoff is obviously worth it, whether you're going to yeah. Australia or to the UK, but oh my God, it is horrible. So yeah, it's so far away. So anyway, they have this amazing holiday. They go to um, Western Australia. They go to Margaret River and they go to Sydney and things happen and it's a rom-com. So you can probably guess a little bit what, what happens, um, but it is very much in that lovely, uplifting, heartwarming style that Laura Jane Williams writes with. So if you've enjoyed Our Stop or The Love Square or you're a fan of Beth O'Leary's books, um, definitely recommend reading The Lucky Escape. It is just really nice escapism, um, especially in a year when like none of us can travel. Like, I mean, to be to be fair, it's probably not that much of escapism for our Aussie listeners because you are in Australia. Um <laughs> Yeah, it yeah. is such escapism and, Laura and it's lovely. Did last, like when we spoke to her last year, that you know she was writing this sort of in the midst of lockdown, so she was like in the first oh, lockdown, yeah, on holiday, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, without masks and sanitizer and fear of death. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I remember yeah, her saying true. like, "Oh, she was writing about them being on the plane," and she was like, "Oh, how fun to be on a plane!" Yeah. Like, they're in the airport and there are all these people around, yeah. and. Yeah, it's and they go to a music festival and yeah, oh, they're dancing with people and they're like, there's like a big. I mean, it's it's just yeah, it is pure escapism, but definitely just like lighthearted, lovely romance. Um, of course, as with all Laura Jane Williams's other books as well, there's like a lovely family element to it. it's more than just the romance and. There's a bit of depth there between, you know, Patrick's past relationships um, and overcoming some things there. So, yeah, it is definitely um, one of those that, yeah, you're just going to feel really nice and happy after you read it. And it's the perfect companion to your recommendation today. It is. I can't wait to read The Lucky Escape and I'm sure that you are equally as excited to read my recommendation, which is Last Night by Vary McFarlane. And I have seen a lot of reviews for this book saying like, oh my God, why didn't anyone tell me I wouldn't be able to put it down? And the reason for that <laughs> probably is, is that I think it's not quite out yet. I think it's out tomorrow or today, I Yay. suppose, today in the in Australia. Not 100% sure, but I think the UK date would be about the same. Um, so I read this book. I started it on Friday afternoon um, and I finished it less than 24 hours later on the Saturday. <laughs> I just sat down and read. Awesome Easter weekend. Um, and as with all of Bari's books, there is 
way more than meets the eye and you you know you read the blurb and you think like you know if you don't know better you think I know what this is going to be about and so I even (laughs) I read it and I was like I know what this is going to be about and then I was like but what else will she bring because I know yeah that's what her books are like so last night follows Eve mainly and Eve is best friends with Susie and in like year 11 or year 12 or something they become best friends with Ed and Justin and the four of them become this like really tight-knit you know quartet and after they all go away for uni and stay friends and everything and then they all kind of come back and they're the best of friends they go to like their local pub trivia every Thursday I think it is and ever since they missed their chance right before they left for uni Eve has been in love with Ed and kept it a secret from everyone and then one completely normal regular Thursday after their pub trivia something happens that changes all four of their lives forever and I'm not going to tell you what it is because it's a big spoiler obviously (laughs) um and it you know would obviously give away a very key element of the story and I think it's funny I've seen a lot of like a lot of people commented on my post on Instagram and I've seen a lot of other things like if you knew the story you might not read it so I don't want to tell you because I want everyone to read it because it's so much more than you think but you know everything changes after this one night and like the blurb says and Eve isn't realizes she isn't the only one keeping secrets sort of thing and it's like ooh, Mm. what happens but (laughs) the whole book is really about like such close you know unbreakable friendships and like what these four have been through and go through together and and like a bit about how you kind of like out like grow with and you know at different paces like outgrow and kind of come back to these friends that are always going to be there yeah so I don't know I don't know what else to say because I really don't want to give it away (laughs) it sounds incredible um and I have no doubt it is because I love Mari's books yeah um yeah, so I can't. I can't wait to read that um, eventually when I'm not reading ten other books at the same things. time. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm really glad that I got to just really dive in and totally absorb this one in yeah less than twenty four hours. I think. So yeah, it was wonderful. Another one to the you know favorites list. Vari has written like six or seven books or something by now, and I think I've read all but one. Yeah, I think I'm missing one in there somewhere, but I love them. I'm missing a few of the recent ones, I must say, that I haven't yeah. caught up with. Um, so I need to, I need to do that, and that you know, I'm sure will be so nice to to kind of binge all of them at once. That's probably what I will end up doing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. What a great weekend of reading! If only every weekend gave us like four days to read and watch Harry Potter. I know. Amazing. If only. <laughs> and you know, why isn't this our life? Eat chocolate and drink tea and. yeah yeah it was a very very nice weekend um weirdly though we had snow overnight which is really really strange because it was like 20 degrees earlier in the week and now it's like one degree and it snowed oh my god 
<laughs> I know it's so bizarre. I don't know what's happening. It's very, very weird. Um, but yeah, I shall be staying inside and reading for a little bit longer, I think. Sounds lovely. Um, so we hope that you enjoy our interview today as well. We certainly did. Our guest this week was born and raised in Florida, but now lives in Brooklyn, New York with her husband. She earned an MFA from the Iowa Writers' Workshop in 2018 and has a journalism degree. She was formerly the editor at Essence and Entertainment Weekly. Her debut novel, The Final Revival of Opal and Nev, has been described as a firecracker and an utterly fresh take on finding one's voice on systematic racism and sexism on freedom of expression. We're so delighted to welcome you to Better Words, Dawny Walton. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle and Caitlin. It's so weird talking in like three wildly different time zones. <laughs> yes, but we are always so grateful to our American guests as well for making it work across across the three time zones. So There's such you. a small window of time where it works. So thank you yeah. for giving us your time. <laughs> my pleasure, my pleasure. Um, so we both, have enjoyed the book so much it's such a phenomenal novel and I can see why it's getting so much amazing press which we're going to talk about a bit later um but you know it is such a cool concept can you explain to our uh, listeners a little bit about the style and why you wanted to write the novel in this sort of it's sort of like a faux non-fiction way it's really cool yeah, so uh, the final revival of Opal and Nev is a fictional oral history. Uh, it's about an interracial duo uh, in the early 1970s New York, and they're making weird rock and roll music together. And they rocket to fame in the wake of violence that breaks out at a record label showcase when a rival band brandishes a Confederate flag on stage. And their drummer, uh, a Black man named Jimmy Curtis, who also happens to be having an affair with Opal is killed. And the impetus for the story is that Opal and Nev are considering a reunion tour in the year 2016. And Jimmy Curtis's daughter, Sonny, uh, who was unborn at the time that her father was killed and so never knew him, is um, looking to sort of revisit the origin story to learn more about her father and Opal, who she's always sort of kept as a, a heroine, an unconventional heroine in her life. Um, so she's telling their story as they're considering getting back together in 2016. And as you said, it's an oral history, which is basically, you know, the journalist character, Sunny, is weaving together interviews that she's doing with Opal, with Nev, with you know, her stylist and the record label manager and their producer and all these people who are around them to sort of construct the story. And every now and then she breaks in with editor's notes that give more color and context um, to what these people are like now. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I actually could sort of picture it in my head more like a documentary like just imagining the cutaways and the different scenes and I love the way it was written like that because it really does feel like you're reading these transcripts but it also has this flow to it that it does also feel like a fiction like it doesn't feel fictional actually it feels so <laughs> yeah, it real it feel so realistic and I have to say I wish I could hear their music but so we'll have to 
get someone to record a couple of their songs or something. <laughs> Wouldn't but... that be cool? That would be yeah. so amazing. Yeah. So... But I'm, yeah, I'm so glad that you said it, it feels like a documentary because that's actually, you know, I love documentaries and watching one is actually the thing that sparked this book. Um, I was watching one called 20 Feet from Stardom, which is about background singers um, to very famous people, singers who were talented in their own right, but never had a shot at the at the spotlight. And in the first five minutes of that documentary, they show concert footage from Talking Heads, Stop Making Sense. And David Byrne is at center stage. And I've always loved him. He's a fascinating person to watch. He's a real weirdo. And so he's fun. But then to the left of him, there are his background singers. There are two Black women named Lynn Mabry and Edna Holt. And I just had the urge to pull one of them to center stage with David Byrne and sort of watch them play and perform for the rest of the show. And so those two characters, sort of the outlines of them kind of haunted me for a very long time before I started writing. And I just like got Opal's voice first and then Nev's came and then the chorus around them filled in. I love that. That's so cool. Um, so Dawny, you've said in other interviews that you are not a musician. So how did you find writing all of the music and lyrics and about them playing? Like how was, how did you write music so intimately like when they're writing and recording it feels so real thank you well you know at first it was intimidating because I don't know the first thing other than the handful of piano lessons I took (laughs) at age 10 (laughs) and promptly quit because I'm a super impatient person and was not picking it up very easily um but what I did was I really tried to think about music from the fans perspective And really paying attention to the pieces of music that I love. And when I say pieces, I'm talking about like the moment when like the song reaches a crescendo and sort of the chill that runs down the back of your neck. Like, what are those things that I feel in my body when I'm listening to music? What are the things that, you know make me want to like jump up and down in my bedroom and rock out and what are the things that make me feel like a swooning teenage girl because they feel so romantic um so I tried to think about I tried to approach the music from that point of view and I felt because I have loved music and loved so many different kinds of music my whole life that that was what felt easiest to me and most authentic. So I tried not to worry too much about like the technical aspects, you know, Um, and tried to think more from an emotional standpoint as a listener and a lover of music. Yeah, it is. It does make sense that you say that though, because that is something that is kind of key with Opal's character is that she was just like singing with her sister and they were like, you, you're pretty good. Like you have real stage presence. You're a star, like (laughs) sort of thing. And she's, you know, not technically trained and everything. And it's all kind of like from her heart, I guess. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that as fans, like we can all kind of identify that X factor and it's hard to put words around it, but you know it when you see it or when you hear it, you know, it's the certain uniqueness of talent uh, and individuality that is just like, you can't 
like quantify it or you can't like explain it. It's just like makes you feel something. And and that's what I wanted to do. And I had great, uh, you know, it, it was amazing to write the live music parts of, of the novel, especially. And I'm loving the feedback that I'm getting because since we've been in pandemic, of course, no one's able to go to concerts or to festivals and shows. And so people are connecting with this novel on that level where, you know, they're able to remember that feeling of being in a mass of people and being really excited by the music. Um, so that's been very gratifying to hear. Yeah. Are there any particular sort of concert experiences that you've had that are just unforgettable? Absolutely. I mean, many, but probably um, I was lucky enough to see Prince in 2016, 20, no, 2014. Wow. 2014. I used to work at um, Essence Magazine and they did a huge festival every summer in New Orleans. And he was the headliner for the 20th anniversary edition. And of course, because I worked there, I had amazing seats. (laughs) So like, like I felt yes. like I could like reach out and touch Prince. That's and, really um, cool. You know, like, of course, when, you know, like I miss him so much as an artist and always had wanted to see him. And I was so lucky to, to be able to be there for that show. Yeah. Like one of the true icons of music. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah, but I also saw Paul McCartney at Yankee Stadium. Gosh, what year was that? And it was in the nosebleeds, completely different experience. <laughs> way, way up. Um, but it was an amazing show. Yeah. Yeah, I was, that was like one of my absolute dreams as a Beatles fan was to see Paul McCartney live. And he hadn't been to Australia since the 90s. And he came to Australia in 2017, I think. And honestly, it was like the best night of my life. Like we were actually like, I did splurge and get like quite, not the best seats or anything, but like quite close, um, close for us, like what we could afford. And yeah, well, cause I think you're going to go, like, you'll probably never be able to I know. go to the concert again. I think I spent about $300 on like on my a ticket, ticket, which was a yeah. lot at the time because we also had to travel down there. So we had to get flights and everything. Um, but I think what is so great about m- iconic musicians like Paul and, you know, like so many others is when they respect their fans enough to be like, they want to hear the hits, they want to hear the old things. And as much as I might want to play new music, I've got to, I think he uh, was talking in an interview with Taylor Swift, actually, yeah. um, that, that we discussed that like both of them have such respect for people come and they want this whole experience of me as a musician. And I can't possibly ignore that because. Yeah, because there's always I people in the him, audience who've never seen them live. So they want to hear yeah, those right. hits. And it's, I think, especially with someone like Paul, um, you know, it's, oh, you know, this was at my parents' wedding or my wedding or this funeral or, you know, there's so many, having such a long career means there's so many like life moments that people mark and that emotion is all tied in with their songs. And so to to hear those things performed live just gives you like goosebumps. It's just, 
it's amazing so um yeah oh god i can't wait for us to be able to get back to live music <laughs> i know oh, me I know. too me too yeah i know i mean this is yeah. such like an australia thing but i was supposed to go like two weeks ago to a concert at the sydney opera house like forecourt like out like outside the sydney opera house and it got cancelled it's been postponed oh. till november and it was already oh. postponed from last november like it's just because you don't have it but you don't have any covid but you get like 10 cases and everything and everything like, freaks out yeah. and even though it was no. five seconds of summer so they're technically an australian being but they live <laughs> in the in the u.s so um so can you tell us a bit about opal and nev so as we said you know they do feel like these real like we could be talking about their concerts and that feels so formed was there you know one person who came first or were they always going to be that duo it was always going to be a duo um and my idea was i i really like this idea of having two outwardly opposite people um and actually the way that i first was pitching this novel when i had very early idea with friends i said imagine if grace jones and david bowie made music together in this particular era of New York music that I super love and obsessed with, to be honest. (laughs) And, um, but I did want to give them some things in common, you know, I wanted to sort of give them both slightly lonely childhoods and slightly outcast status in a way. And so that they would bond over that and kind of find their voices through music. And that would be the way that they, connected and so it was always a duo I will say that Opal's voice came to me sooner just because you know like me she's a black woman and I sort of knew you know I had been Opal's age in the 1970s timeline and then of course like you know my mother and my aunts and women like that are her age on the 2016 timeline so that voice felt very familiar to me and the things that she would be concerned with felt really familiar to me. Um, And then Nev, Nev was a trickier one for me to sort of figure out. Like I kind of had this sense of him as very affable, very charming, but the both of them are very ambitious figures, but they're ambitious in, in ways that are different and in ways that ultimately kind of like pull them apart without giving any any spoilers like one 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 is ambitious but has limits to that ambition and the other one would like do anything (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) Um, we'll leave it at that (laughs) yeah and like as we've said you know a hundred times already it feels like they do feel like so realistic but you do have them slotted right next to you know these other people that we've discussed like right into real history was that like how was that to write to like slot them in right there and like Nev is talking about like there was something I think right at the beginning that his guitar teacher was like oh I could have been a beetle or something yeah Yeah. (laughs) like Like, I think he says he says like oh I'm not I wasn't as cute as Paul McCartney yeah. or as sexy as Mick Jagger. Like, yeah they just yeah. like slot right in and then there's bits like towards the end of the book too where you have like other like feminist icons and like other musicians like talking mm-hmm. about like their influence on their careers and I was just like oh my god like you read it's like every few pages you forget that they're not real <laughs> and you're like oh my god Jane Fonda was there like 
Yeah. Jane Fonda's great. She's so amazing. And it was, it was really great and great fun, honestly, to sort of like play with history in that way and play with real figures and almost write something that at moments felt like satire to me um, in in the way that I was like approaching certain things and certain real life people and, and celebrities And it required, you know, it was like a lot of fun research. It was a lot of rabbit holes and like watching YouTube videos from late night talk shows and and just figuring out where Opal and Nev would fit into these scenes and like who might they have hung out with, who might they have been influenced by, you know, who might have been influenced by them. You know, all those were things that I was thinking about as I was writing and um you know, I loved putting them, you know, I love putting Opal in Paris where there was this real life fashion show, you know, that I imagined that she would have been there. You know, those things were just great fun for me to imagine and to write. Yeah, that does sound like so much fun. And we are fans of a research rabbit hole here too. <laughs> yeah. Getting lost on those things. Um, were there any artists in particular that, you know, really inspired you in, in combining different things to create Opal and Nip? Yeah, absolutely. So for Opal, there were three main ones for me. Um, I already talked a bit about uh, Grace Jones was a huge influence mm-hmm. in terms of her style and her sort of unapologetic, like, she enters a room and she's just like grace she's just bold and you're gonna get what you're gonna get and I just love that about her so that aspect of her is in opal um the second uh is Nona Hendrix who was one third of the group LaBelle probably best known for Lady Marmalade but they actually made some pretty great rock and roll songs in in the 1970s and Nona was, you know, a primary songwriter for them. And she was always the one who was sort of like pushing the envelope and sort of doing more surreal stuff. And I think she also kind of influenced their style. Like they would wear, you know, space suits and things with feathers all over them. And and she's still a very much an avant-garde artist today. You know, she's still actually... I did an event here in the States virtually where she performed and it was just like a huge, huge honor. So no, yeah, it was so amazing. So amazing. Um, so Nona Hendrix is number two. And then number three is a early 1970s kind of cult funk artist. Her name was Betty Davis. Um, and she was on the New York scene in that time And she, you know, hung out with Jimi Hendrix and Sly Stone. And for one brief year, she was married to Miles Davis. And she's sort of credited with electrifying his style and his sound. But she also made and wrote really incredible, sexy, funky, loud music. And she had this very arresting voice. Like, it's not a pretty voice but she would like make all kinds of weird noises and vocalizations. She would grunt and screech. And, you know, she had a difficult time in the music industry. Um, They didn't quite know what to do with her because they couldn't quite like put her in a box and package her up very neatly. 
And she reached a point where she just got sick of being told what to do by record company executives. And she just left the business altogether and moved back to her hometown of Pittsburgh and um, where she still lives today, sort of a recluse, you know, but sort of worshipped by her former fans. And, you know, Michelle, actually, we were talking about documentaries. There's a great one about her called They Say I'm Different, um, which is one to check out. It's very good. So those three women, yeah, were the main influences. But there are so many pieces of other Black women in Opal, you know. Um, There's a little Eartha Kitt, a little Nina Simone in terms of the political sensibility um but yeah yeah she's a bit of a composite figure yeah and nev for nev i sort of thought of him you know i don't know that there was any like one figure i was thinking about with nev um but i did sort of was thinking about chameleonic artists you know artists and and i think a lot of like these artists tend to be men you know Um, especially white men, because they're given the chance again and again to sort of transform themselves and it's fine, you know, like they can do what they want to do. So I'm thinking about artists like, you know, like a a Rod Stewart who kind of starts his career with a harder sound uh, as part of, you know, faces. And then like in his solo career later, it's a lot a lot more pop oriented. So I'm thinking about like that transition. And then style wise, you know, also the chameleon thing, I'm thinking about, you know, a David Bowie, artists like that, chameleons, I would say, is the inspiration for Nev. I have to say, when I read what happened to Nev's mother, my immediate thought too was John Lennon. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> it was just wonderful the way you sort of wove it in without it being super obvious. But I was like, oh my God. Yeah, but Michelle yeah. picked it up. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you, you know, I don't I don't know that I realized that at the time that I wrote it, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. So in the final revival of Opal and Nev, racial violence is a really important but devastating, you know, part of the story. It's like a real key part of the story. So how do you see music and race intertwining and, and why did you want to explore like that? specifically in the book? Well, I think when it comes to rock and roll, you know, the dynamics are a little bit fraught because rock and roll is was born in the Black tradition of the Black Southern church. Mm-hmm. It was born in the tradition of the blues. Um, but at a certain point, it was sort of, you know, appropriated, taken over by white artists, you know, and there was a lot of erasure or miscategorization of people who had invented rock and roll, you know, and yeah. not, yeah, not I mean, really. Like Elvis, mm-hmm. Elvis and also like the Beatles, just like they, some of their earliest cover, like their covers that they do on their early albums were from their favorite, like Motown artists. That's and stuff. right. They always said that, yeah. but yeah, it is a hundred percent like they were inspired by this incredible movement that then just sort of snowballed and exactly yeah, and, and where, yeah. yeah, the Stones as well. You know, the Stones is technically like you know 
you could call them an R&B band, a blues band. Um, they were that inspired. And what I appreciate, at least, about a lot of the British artists is that they did cite their influences. They did. But the problem is when people don't. So on one level, like that's, you know, how, how race tends to get a little fraught because, you know, in the industry, it's very much about how things are categorized and boxed and that's how things are sold, you know? And so it gets very complicated. Then separately, I was also thinking about the era of music that I was writing, um, which is the early 1970s and how much richness, how much was happening in rock and roll. So you had everything from, the kind of California Laurel Canyon stuff, kind of folky vibe stuff happening. You had proto-punk, you know, this is right before CBGB. And then you had Southern rock. So I'm from the Southern United States. I'm from Florida and not like the palm trees kind of like, you know, like (laughs) sexy beach Florida, but like my city is right like across the Georgia line. You cross the Georgia line and you're in Jacksonville. So Leonard Skinner is from my hometown and that is a band, you know, famous for using the Confederate flag iconography on their stages and on their albums. And they also did the song Sweet Home Alabama. And for someone like me, you know, a young black woman, It's very aggressive, I will say. And so I was thinking about, you know, the year 1971 and all these different things bubbling in rock and roll and putting it sort of together with Opal and Nev and watching what would unfold if you put all these different sort of opposing forces in the same concert hall and thinking about like what would happen. Um, And what happened in my imagination was that it got aggressive and it does get violent in the story. It was so interesting, like, you know, it's kind of like at the beginning of the book, you know, we have like the snippet of what's happening and then you're reading all up to like this big showcase and then we get there and I was just reading it and I'm like, you know, you know what happens sort of, but it's like, it's, you know, it's all starting to happen and, and everyone's there. And I'm like, there are so many different people all performing on the same night, so many different acts because it is that sort of broad showcase, but I was just like, oh my God, it was also, I can, you know, of course that's what happened. It was all so crazy. And I, I did love though, I think my favorite, um, part was the person who went on first who just went out for dinner with her family and then like read the paper the next morning was like oh my god what (laughs) what happened missed the whole thing I love that that she was like I don't care if I go on first I'm just gonna go out to dinner with my family (laughs) yeah I thought she was very funny but yeah it's very very interesting to read so was the Bond brothers sort of then Mm -hmm. inspired by your feelings about those kinds of bands Yeah, the Bond Brothers was definitely sort of my stand-in there for a Leonard Skinner-type band. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're even from, you know, the town that I make them from is close to my hometown. Yeah. 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 Oh, my goodness. Um, (laughs) It's so, 
I mean, like you've written, you've written about it all so well, and it's so interesting to hear you talk about it. And you know, we're obviously talking about it in relation to like how things were at that particular time, and you've slotted Opal and Nev into the seventies. But God, you just can't help but think twenty twenty one, and there's still you know very obvious examples of this kind of thing. The the interesting thing is that um, the Confederate flag has been, you know, again, a hot topic, and I'm using air quotes, <laughs> um, in the past couple of years. Um, but I started writing this book in 2013, and probably by 2014, I was sort of noodling on the idea of having the Confederate flag be a major component um, and instigating thing in, in this book. And it's because, like, for me, it's always been an issue, you know? I mean, where I grew up, you know, you could go into gas stations and find it on keychains and on bumper stickers and things like that. So it was always kind of like very conspicuously around me, you know? And so, you know, it just goes to show like there, there are certain topics that have flashpoints you know, where everybody's sort of interested to talk about them. But for a lot of us who are living it and are sort of um, on the other side of the usage of it, it's something that is like, unfortunately, eternal. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. Yeah. And, yeah. and I guess the same can be said for a lot of other different issues um, that have come up in, especially in the past year, as you say, like, for white people in particular, we're going, oh, wow, that's really, that's really wrong. And that's really bad. But actually, you know, it's been there the whole time. That's right. And yeah. 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 Definitely um, transcends, you know, the time that is set in the seventies, like we said, but um, obviously so much to think on mm -hmm. right now as well. And, and always. Um, so we mentioned at the start that you were a magazine editor at Essence when you started writing the book. Um, so tell us a little bit about your publication journey. This is like one of our favorite questions we try to ask everyone because everyone has a different story. So I was a journalist, gosh, more than 20 years and worked for many different places. Like you said, Essence, also Entertainment Weekly and Life.com and um, Getty Images. And I started writing this book at the end of 2013. And I was still like an executive editor at Essence at the time. And I was so gripped by the idea and so compelled by these characters and having a lot of fun writing them, honestly, that I was waking up at 5 a.m., you know, just to write um get in some hours before I went into the office wow. and if I had the energy after work uh I would continue to write at night that's how much I was compelled by it and you know I don't I don't know if um you all know very much about Essence but it is sort of an aspirational it's so it's a publication um, that puts a spotlight on amazing Black women. It's very inspirational, very aspirational. And we were covering women who were doing amazing things in their lives and making their dreams come true and really like um, 
focused on their goals. And I think after a while, it started to kind of rub off on me because I was like, well, <laughs> hey, like maybe I could actually do this. Maybe I could do this writing thing for real. And I had a friend uh, who was a writer and was sort of telling me about all the opportunities, like the residencies and fellowships. And, you know, he told me you should apply to McDowell, which is a, a residency um, here in the States. And so I remember the moment when I was applying to that residency and never thinking in a million years that I'd actually get in. But when I hit the submit button, I made a promise to myself that if I got in, that I would really take up the leap into doing this seriously and doing yeah. it full time and just kind of like living off savings for a while and, and, and going for it. And it ended up that I did get in. And so I was like, well, <laughs> you have to do it now. A promise. Yeah. A promise. <laughs> Gotta, is give a promise. It a real go. <laughs> Gotta give it a real go. And, you know, I went, uh, the program was in New Hampshire and I thought, you know, okay, well, I'll have these six weeks to work really hard and then I'll come back to New York and I'll find another job and that'll, that'll be fine. I'll be satisfied with that. And then about halfway through the residency, I was like, oh no, like I need more. <laughs> and so I, then I decided to apply to MFA programs and ended up getting into the University of Iowa. Uh, and so I went there for two years and finished this novel just before graduation, right under the wire <laughs> and um, came back to New York and found my agent and we worked on a couple of revisions together. You know, I was probably with him for mm, maybe eight months or so before we took it out on submission mm -hmm. and yeah. And then yeah, it was bought. And, you know, that whole publishing process is a long, <laughs> it takes a long time. It's like two years from the first acquisition. And then you work on edits with your editor. And then finally, it's like, you wait, 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 wait. And then it's like, everything happens in this crazy rush. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's, that's, I'm, I'm in the middle of the rush right now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So when it came interested to, as a journalist, like when it came to writing this, did you ever think I'm just going to sit down and write like, uh, to use, I can't think of a better word, but like a normal novel, or was it always just going to come out in a little bit more of a journalistic style? Because it, it reads, like I said, like we said at the start, like it feels like a documentary. It feels like audio transcripts of actual interviews and, I, I loved that about that. I think that's so unique. But was that like something that just happened or was that like a conscious, like I'm going to do it, I'm going to do things differently? Yeah, I don't know if it was conscious. I think it, it's just what felt natural to me as a journalist. You know, I mean, you listen to people talk a lot and and you listen kind of for the story between the lines of what they're saying a lot. Mm -hmm. And I also like the oral history format because, you know, when I worked at Entertainment Weekly, it was a format that we used to kind of um, explain the stories behind movies or TV shows or albums that everybody loves. And so it was kind of an, a way to instantly make Opal and Nev feel iconic 
that there would be mm-hmm. all these different people talking about them and that they would be allowed to go at length about themselves. And it just, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful to my journalism career for kind of informing that part of the fiction. And a lot of people, you know, they say, well, wasn't it limiting? Wasn't it, you know, difficult to write in that form? But I actually found that the structure of it gave me a lot of freedom to play within the lines, you know? Like I kind of understood how the thing had to be constructed. And once I knew that, I could go crazy inside yeah. of it. Um, and obviously, like, so I guess so that people understand you'll switch between there are chapters, but then, you know, it'll be different speakers, I guess, within the chapters. Were there any points at revisions where you're like moving people around or were you oh, making sure. those? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah. You and know, there are like yeah. other excerpts from like other interviews that like, you know, you've found and yeah. like other documentaries <laughs> and like, uh-huh. And like audio transcripts from other like TV shows and everything and like footnotes. And I'm just like, it must have been so fun to make yes. all of that up. It was yeah. hugely fun. It was like putting together a collage, you know? Yeah. It really was. It was fun. And I think too, like, um, so I'm a journalist too. I'm not working as a journalist at the moment, but I was a newspaper journalist. And I think the fact that you have that training and you're sort of, yes, you're doing fiction, but it's within the realms of something you know. Did that help with like any imposter syndrome of like, you know, when you hear people talking about, well, I haven't sat down and written a novel before, so I'm really scared about what to do. Was it kind of a little bit less intimidating to be like, right, I know this, I've done this before, I've done this at Entertainment Weekly, like, I know. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was in the sense that I had... I had an idea of what feels interesting and what felt funny and what felt climactic and what felt dramatic, you know, all those things that you look for as a journalist when you're looking to sort of put your story together. And basically every journalist who puts story together is putting together a patchwork, right, of the facts and the context with the quotes from their interview subjects and you know, all those things. And so I I do think that it gave me a confidence because I certainly had never had um, like a literature background. You know, I'd never, I'd taken some creative class, creative writing classes sort of casually, but not really at a university level or anything like that. And so it did feel very natural. And the good thing about, you know, going to get my MFA is that I did learn a lot about craft you know, and I think outside of the oral history parts, um, learning more about craft really helped with the editor's notes, which are more like um, more traditional creative writing, uh, more traditional literary um, writing. And so like, I love that I could like pull from both areas of my brain and sort of find that sweet spot in between. Oh, that's so cool. I mean, like, yeah, like as a journalist, I'm just like, that is such a cool concept because you are essentially doing what you do for work, but you are making up all those facts and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But I, it's probably underselling and like, yeah, I guess definitely underselling what I, we do as journalists, but sometimes I felt like it wasn't hard work because, I mean, it was, but if you get a really good interview they sort of do the work for they you do and you're like, you. all That's I have right. to do is, all I have to do is yeah. put this together. Yeah. Like, yeah. and yeah. I think, 
And obviously yeah. like that takes time and that takes skill to get to that level. But sometimes it's literally sometimes you don't have to do any work because you get someone who communicates so well that you're like, well, there, bam, that's my story. Like they don't even know that they just gave me the most amazing story ever. And then yeah. other people, um, I will say, particularly teenagers, is like pulling teeth. Right. <laughs> and then that's where sometimes it wouldn't happen like that. But when the people aren't real and you get to make up their answers. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> that's right. It's Absolutely. like, you know, what would be like the dream quote here? Like what would be like the person I'd want to hear from in this moment? And it's like, oh, it's fiction. Great. I yeah, can make yeah. them up. You just get to make it up and it's like, I'll just get the best friend to spill the secret. It's good. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I do love um, the bit where like Nev says like, I did consider journalism, but like I was, I was making, I was, it was too far-fetched for me. Like I couldn't stick to like the truth. I was like, this is funny. The joke within the book. Like I just thought that was really clever. Uh, (laughs) That's amazing. That's so, so cool. Um, So we also mentioned before that obviously the, the book has had absolutely amazing press in the lead up to its release. You know, you've had within quotes this from rush as you call yeah, it within, yeah. with, within the rush, like it's all sort of coming out now and um, you know, praise in Oprah magazine and stuff like that. How does that feel like as a debut author, that's so rare. How does it feel to be like going through that at the moment? I mean, I just, I'm so grateful. I'm so blessed. It, it is very rare for a debut to get this much attention. And it's it's overwhelming in the best possible way. You know, I, I my launch day in the U.S. was March 30th. And, um, you know, I woke up that morning after sort of a fitful sleep because I was too nervous. And the first <laughs> thing I did was... I reached for my phone and um, I went to the New York Times because I thought, oh, maybe they'll review it today. And (laughs) this is very early in the morning. And I read the first line of the review, which is like an amazing line. And I gasped and I woke up my husband. I said, it's good. It's good. It's a good review. And it was just like, that was kind of the first little piece of like excellent news. And then it just was like, excellent, continuing to be excellent. Like it was, it's been really amazing. It's, it's been, and I've heard, you know, it's gotten a lot of attention. Um, You know, it's gotten attention on television and in magazines. And it's been so lovely to hear from so many different people from over my life, you know? Like, I got a little note from a high school teacher and all these people I haven't heard from in years. And it's just the thing that just makes, warms my heart and makes me smile is when somebody says, you know, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you, you know, because it has been a journey. It has been a years long journey and a lot of sacrifice. Um, And it is very humbling to see those things paying off. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, well, it's well-deserved too, because it is an incredible book, amazingly written. And I'm so excited for our listeners to read it and experience like the amazing history of Opal and Nev. So good. Has there been like one, you know, endorsement or review or quote or something that like that you were really, really excited about? (laughs) Like a top 
one. Yeah, I mean, they've all been so amazing, but there was a review in the Washington Post that was written by Danielle Evans, who is a short fiction writer that I really, really love. She put out a collection last year called the Office of Historical Corrections, and she wrote the most beautiful review and said her only disappointment was that Opal wasn't real. (laughs) And to hear her say that, you know, from another from one black woman writer to another was enormously um, gratifying to hear, to know that she loved the character and how the character is flawed and messy and vulnerable, but it doesn't make you root for her any less. Um, I love to hear that. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I agree. Amazing. <laughs> Gosh, I do wish they were real. I know. <laughs> I keep thinking every reference to one of the songs, like one, all the different like color songs for that album, I'm like, oh, such a cool yeah. idea. I yeah. want to hear all the different color songs. <laughs> well, hopefully, you know, some band out there will be inspired and maybe they'll they'll make versions of these albums. That would be really cool. I mean, do you think that we could see like a movie or a musical version? Maybe musical. Maybe awesome. I mean, that would be amazing. It's that would be a dream. Fingers crossed. Fingers (laughs) crossed that that happens. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wonderful. Um, So finally, is there like a playlist or anything that you've put together that we can share just to give people the vibe of the book as well? Yes, there is a playlist. It's on Spotify. Um, if you just search Opal and Nev playlist and it has artists from, you know, the era that Opal and Nev's from Opal and Nev's heyday, but also there are artists that I think would have, um, been influenced by Opal and Nev. So you have everyone on there from, you know, Nona Hendrix, as I mentioned before, to Janelle Monet, you know, or Arcade Fire and, um, Gosh, who else is on there? Betty Davis, Tina Turner, of course. Oh, um, yeah, David <laughs> Bowie. It's a it's a mix. People seem to be really loving it. Excellent. Okay, yeah. we'll definitely we'll link that in the show notes so that people can check that out. Great. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat. Thank you um, so much, Michelle and Caitlin. This has been really, really fun. Can you please just let our listeners know where they can find and follow you online? Yes, on uh, Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Donnie Walton. Too easy. Easy enough. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. And um, the the physical book will be out very soon in the UK and I assume also Australia, but we will double check. I believe it's actually already out in Australia. I think it had the same. Yes, there are some paperbacks, yes, in Australia. March okay. 30 yep. release date, I think. So yeah, already oh, out. Already I can go run out and get it now. <laughs> and when the audiobook I think is coming soon, yeah. Has like a whole cast. So I'm sure this a will be an cast. amazing audiobook yes. as well. Yes, I can't he- wait to hear feedback on that. That was but really have you, fun. have you listened to it? I have. Yes. Oh, how did that how yes. was that like actually hearing it come to life as well? You know, it is surreal because these are voices that have only been in my head or like whispered to myself, you know? Yeah. And it's so there are so many moments where I just laughed out loud because an actor really nailed the spirit of the character or the rhythm of the voice. It's really cool. That Amazing. must be I mean, 
you know, it's one of those classic things. It's like it was all in your head and now it's like a real book. But to like hear other people say it and you're like, oh, my God, I made that up. Like that I, was know. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah, yeah. And I guess so like cool. that's that's even closer to having like, you know, a movie adaptation or something yeah, to have a to multiple have a full, cast. Yeah, full cast yeah, for the audio book. very oh, cool. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. Such a cool Excellent. Well, we will um, include some information about that as well. Thank you again for joining us. Um, and yeah, have a wonderful, wonderful afternoon. You too. Uh, Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Better Words. You can chat to us on Instagram at Better Words Pod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book-loving friend and leave a rating or review.